Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, AMC's new ticket pricing, Sharper, starring Sebastian Stan and Julianne Moore, is rolling out. And because of that, director Benjamin Karen joins the show. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 248 of Real Blend, a podcast that is ready for the year of Jonathan Majors. Starting with Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and then continuing into all the other cool films that he's in, including Magazine Dreams and Creed uh, Creed 3. Did you call it? Did you call it Quantum? Quantum Mania? Did I call it Quantum Mania? Like an ant? I didn't realize that the word Ant-Man is in Quantum Mania. You're right. So okay, yeah, I, we can't. I can't say or uh, yeah. Kevin yeah, may but, have seen. We'll Quantumania. just we'll just point out that fact and we'll move on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I saw Quantum Mania. I haven't seen Quantum Mania yet. <laughs> hope it was good. Uh, on this week's show, we're going to discuss AMC's new ticket pricing. Uh, Sharper is a new thriller uh, that stars Sebastian Stan and Julianne Moore that we're going to be talking about, and because of that movie. Uh, that's going to theaters and then eventually going to hit Apple TV plus we have director Benjamin Karen on the show. And this is a terrific conversation. Uh, he also, excuse me, directed uh, episodes of Sherlock with Benjamin uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Boy, I'm all over the place today. And he did um, Andor, including the finale of the first season. And he gets into some specifics for that. And the crown. Really great details. Yes. I want to see. I want to see a series on uh, Sherlock Holmes starring Benjamin Button or whoever. Me too. Say. I don't know who I was going to say. <laughs> well, his name is Benjamin Karen. I think that's what I was thinking. About. Oh, I see. I see. All right. As you can see, uh, Jake Hamilton is not with us. So Gabe Kovach is sitting in the other chair. Hi, Gabe. How are you? Happy to be here. I'm always here, but now I'm really here. Now you're really. You can't look away. Fully here. Uh, and joining us as always, Kevin McCarthy, of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hello, Kev. Hello, Sean. And uh, I know this uh, this episode drops on Friday. So the day after this episode drops, Sean and I will be hanging out in <gasps> D.C. If you are oh, yeah. listening to this episode, um, go to Sean or my Instagram. Go to Sean's Instagram. Um, Sean, give it real quick. It is uh, Sean underscore O'Connell 33. Right. And you can go there. There's a, there'll be an RSVP link. Uh, Sean and I'll be at AMC Tyson's uh, one o'clock, I yep, believe, on Saturday, on, the 11th. on Saturday, the 11th. And come on by and we're going to do a little Q&A and Sean's going to sign some books uh, for his new Spider-Man book. So we're very excited about that. But uh, again, if you know, if you happen to be downloading this episode on Friday uh, and you don't have any plans on Saturday, drop on by. We're going to be in one of the theaters at the mall. So um, very convenient, very easy to get to. Uh, and the parking is there's a lot of parking so and this is that. the dc maryland virginia area but i also know some people from philly that are coming down and if you're really? in delaware come on down yeah so the whole area essentially you have no excuse not to come and hang out with kevin and i on saturday yeah, it's, the 11th it's gonna be fun and i mean real blend last time we did a real blend thing here in dc because I, I consider this real blend event because we're all oh, yeah, here yeah. yeah it's our it's our show um but we did it at amc georgetown so amc's been great to us obviously over the years with the things like this so we're excited to uh it's gonna be fun come come join us i mean especially just to come say hi and i know sean had a great time at his last one last week at charlotte and mm-hmm. um a lot of real blend listeners were showing up so shout out to you guys you know and, and if any real blend listeners want sean to specifically sign the page where where we're mentioned 
me and Pop Kev. Up? You know, just, yeah, just yeah. open I it could, up. I could do that. Just be like, hey, you know, just right above our name. Answering the acknowledgements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. true. Yeah. When, you, when you sign the books, do you sign them Pop Pop or the kid or just your Sean Depends on his mood, I think. All right. So actually, someone bought a copy. <laughs> Uh, at, at the Charlotte one and asked me to autograph it as the kid. <laughs> <laughs> what, Sean, what, is, really great. what is your signature like? Do you like do you do like the whole Sean O'Connell or do you just do like S Connell? I mean, some people have like different ways like Tom Hanks, I think does like T Hanks. Uh, like, how so do you do yours? Mine is really messy. And it's messy on purpose because who writes script like no one writes script or cursive anymore. True. So it usually ends up being a big cursive S. Mm. And then nothing else. And then the O and the C are pretty prominent. And then Sock. it's a bunch of squiggle lines. <laughs> and then like two L's at the end of it kind of thing. OK, so you can tell so, what it is. It's just like yeah. one of those like I mean, yeah. I I've, I used to when I was in school, you put your I jersey to, number next to it, too. <laughs> I used to practice uh, my signature when I was younger. I used to always like imagine what it would be like to sign something for somebody. Yeah. Um, and I used to have like a whole thing where I like I would write the K and then put the E-V-I-N inside the K. And I had a whole like. Yeah, I've never had to use it, but yeah, Kevin, <laughs> well, no, Kevin uh, will sign your book as well, too, on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we did. Of course. We did um, it was Donovan, right, that we signed his poster. His poster. At, mm -hmm. I remember having that thought. He handed it to me and I went, wait, I have to make this look like a lick. I put some effort into this. And I was like, yeah, I, yeah. I had to think about it for a second. Gabe just wrote wrap it up. That's all he, he didn't even put <laughs> his autograph. He just wrote yeah. wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, hello, thank you for joining us. Hello, Friday morning notification crew. So we really appreciate everybody who comes by and watches the show. But of course, everywhere you download uh, podcasts and listen to us in an audio format, we appreciate anybody who checks out the show. Uh, go to YouTube.com backslash Real Blend Podcast to check out the vi video element of it. Hit uh, subscribe while you are there. And that way you guys will get a notification every time we drop a new interview uh don't forget real blend premium as well too if you want to get a bonus episode of the show that drops on mondays in addition to a newsletter every other week including this week uh when you listen to the show this week you will have a newsletter waiting for you in the email go to the description uh here for more information on how you can sign up before i throw it to benjamin karen which i will do in a second um i want to mention an email that we received from somebody named matt uh, sagrafina who goes by maddie maddie sags sags maddie sags Hold on, am I saying that? Yeah, that's who that's his nickname, apparently. And he asked uh, a question that I wanted to answer, but like we're going to have to do it in some other format because they say he, I've always been dying to know uh, since we are all in different areas of the United States because he picked up on us watching us on the YouTube channel, uh, how we all met and became friends and how the Roblox podcast came to be. And I feel like we talked about we, that like in the early days. So but like what i'll point you to this is a great plug sean oh for hey five, for five dollars you can get access to our real blend premium subscription feed okay. um and i believe <laughs> i believe the very first episode that we ever put up on the on the premium feed let me look let me look right now was the history of real blend? i believe we started with yeah. the, like the our the origin, origin story. story uh the real blend the real blend origin story yeah real blend premium number one oh, um cool. that is in there yeah all right so there's a movie that's coming out to theaters and limited release, and it's called Sharper. And we want to put this on your radar because it's really great. Um, and we're going to review it later on in the film in greater detail. But Benjamin Karen is the director of it. Um, he didn't do the screenplay, but he has a terrific cast put together for this, including uh, Sebastian Stan and John Lithgow and Julianne Moore. And so uh, we wanted to have him on the show and discuss his new film. And so without further ado, this is Benjamin Karen talking about his new film, Sharper, in addition to the work that he's done uh, like I mentioned, on shows like Sherlock, The Crown, and of course, 
first season of Andor. We're going to kick off. Um, Benjamin, thank you so much for joining the Real Blend podcast. My pleasure. Um, we are. Just to give you a little bit of a heads up, we are kind of a, a, a geek friendly podcast where we get into the the ins and outs of of decision making behind uh, the productions. And all three of us are huge, huge fans of this movie. And we do not intend to get into spoilers because it's one of those things that we went into it cold and appreciated it uh, more for that reason. So we'll dance around stuff and, and try to get us specific as we can without ruining anything to the film. I mean, it's the hardest part of answering any question is why. Because, yeah. you know, I think, um, I'm not sure any of us really know. And I think you sort of, I think there's a kind of, you make it reasons afterwards and hope it makes sense. And, uh, you know, and where it all comes from, fuck knows, really. Well, I, no, <laughs> you might have an answer to this one. Because so that's probably the it. most honest answer you're going to get the entire podcast. <laughs> um, when we got to the use of Don Henley's uh, Dirty Laundry, I realized that was one of the, the the best song choices you could have had, not just for the scene that is used in, but for the movie in general. Um, and so in addition to the Clint Manziel score, which, of course, is fantastic, uh, if you could just maybe explain a little bit of your choice to use that song and, and whether you had to maybe like fight to get the right Steve and use it. So. Um, Dirty Laundry by Don Henley, that is some track. I remember my, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'd like to say that's been on my playlist and it's been a sort of choice of mine to sort of get in my first feature film. The reality was I, I, I have this amazing music supervisor, Simon Astle, who, you know, worked on Come On, Come On, the A24 film. He'd worked on Big Little Lies and it was his job to sort of, you know, feed me as much music as possible within the kind of um, the sort of tone and the mood and the and the sort of brief of what we were kind of going for 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 sharper so um, so I guess I was I was in I was in Manhattan we we'd started pre-production and my actually came by my editor he sent me a kind of uh, a Spotify link and he was like man just listen to this I reckon this could be really good for the roundabout bar with Max and Madeline and I and I put it on my headphones and it's one of those tracks where you're just your head, just starts yep. going instantly and then your foot starts going and it's like it's just dirty and sexy and it's like it's got all of kind of it just vibrates as a track and right. I was like man this is great like you know can we can we get away with this and he was like yeah yeah this like uh, and you know we're like two Brits and he was like this this film is amazing it's like doesn't matter what music I put on this it seems to work everything seems to stick but it was like this track is um you know it's just um, it's just got, it's just got it. And we, and you know, at that time, we just to give a back, backstory that we hadn't really, that moment of celebration in the film wasn't really a dance sequence. It was just a moment where they sort of got together and celebrated with some money. And I was like, no, no, we've got to make something more of this. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to sort of dial it up. And, you know, I previously, you know, some of my work on the crown found moments where, um, dance was a kind of a, a, a great release and could sort of show something, you know, um, more internal through our characters, whether it was like Diana dancing to an Elton John song or Vanessa Kirby um, dancing to a, a song where she's sort of fallen in love. So, so I guess this was a moment where I was like, okay, we can really go to town on this with, um, with, with the track. So, so I sent it to Sebastian Stan. I was like, right, look, we've got this track. So you've got to get them on board. There's no point, there's no point in them turning up and going... Uh, they got to, they're the ones that have got to be in front of the camera. They've got to dance sure. to it. So you need to get their support, you know, and get them yeah, buying into yeah, it. Yeah. So I sent it to him 
And I sent it to Julie at the same time. And he came back straight away and he was like, you fucking kidding me? This is like my number one favorite song of all time. <laughs> and then he's like, have you got Don's permission? And then, and then I was like... That's always the question. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, and I was like, uh, so I bluffed him. And I was like, yeah, 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 we, we can use the track. We can use it. It's fine. <laughs> because I... Uh, I mean, it wasn't sort of, I wasn't trying to misdirect him. I guess I sort of thought, well, Simon wouldn't have suggested if it wasn't, if I didn't really have permission. So I thought, oh, yeah, it's got to be fine. You know, they don't normally send me tracks that I can't use. So then, uh, and then, and then Julianne came back and she was like, yeah, I love it. It's going to be great. So then, um, then we're like, okay, we've got the track, got the actors. Now I need to get a choreographer because, um, you know, they, you know, we, we need to sort of get something down, even though we want it to look natural and not choreographed. So, um, the line producer, Amy Herman, recommended uh, Susan Stroman, who is this n very famous New York choreographer, director. And uh, I was like, no, there's no way that she's going to come in for a day and do this. But um, <laughs> she was like, fuck yeah, it's Sebastian Stan, it's Julianne Moore, and it's Don yeah. Henley. So, so suddenly, you know, in the space of a kind of a few days, I had this great track. The actors were on board and we had the choreographer. And then um, and then I phoned Simon. I was like, Simon, you know the, the, the Don Henley track? Yeah, everything's cool with that. And he was like, well, the thing <laughs> is, Ben, that's never, it's never been used in a movie before. And, but we're pretty sure we're going to, you know, we're pretty sure we'll get permission to use it. I was like, well, right, okay. Normally in my history, you know, normally in my experience of a, of a track not being used in the movie means that it's not possible to use. So, right. by the way, yeah. I've just told the actors, I've just got a choreographer <laughs> and we're going to shoot this next week in the bar. So, um, you know, what do we need to do? And he's like, I think you should write a letter to Don. So, uh, I was like, okay, right, okay. So, dear Mr. Hendy, you know, um, <laughs> my name Big is fan. Benjamin Karen. <laughs> <Big fan. laughs> and I really like your music. You know, I'm making this movie. It's called Sharper. I've got da 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 da. And I was like, okay, you know, signed like proper letter, signed it, not email, in the post, off it went. And, you know, I don't know, these things, it took a while. It took a, you know, we'd finished the shoot. We were in the, we were in the edit. We'd cut it together and I still hadn't heard. And, and I think not, I probably, he just didn't get to him or maybe he was deliberating. Anyway, like right towards the very end of it, thankfully he said yes. And it was oh like my God. a woohoo moment where, okay, thank God, because, you know, had we used something, anything else in there, it just wouldn't have felt the same. So, that's a very long story uh, about Dirty Laundry. But, you know, you yeah. asked, so there you go. Did, to follow up really quick, did you have like a backup song in case that like in case he didn't come through with permission? Um, yeah, we did. And none of them were right. None of them. It was like it was just it, you just, you know, you just were crying and sorrow and, <laughs> and disappointment and bitterness and uh so, no, I mean, it just, you know, it's like something hits. There's, there's an alchemy that hits when you get, certainly when we shot it and we'd cut it together, it was like, and of course they were moving to it. They were lip syncing to it. You know? was, I, there's a reason that I brought it up to lead the interview. I mean, that scene has like, an impact. Unravel all of that, like heartbreaking. So, yes, we, we I mean, to be honest with you, most tracks, um, you know, in this film, um, not all of them, but some of them actually... Uh, our first choices 
um, ended up being the ones that ended up, you know, stayed in the film. So, you know, Talking Heads, Slippery People, that was mm. another thumping, brilliant track that was sort of like perfect for the introduction of Max. That track, you know, we because we listened to it so many times, you you question yourself and you're like, oh, is it really the best track? And maybe we should try something else. And we had David Bowie, we did the Rolling Stones, we did sort of, let, you know, more oblique artists. And, and you, you know, and every time we'd, you know, we'd sort of send, a, you know, we'd send a cut to a studio, they'd go back and go, um, you know, the Slippery People track, you know, you're, you're not liking that? And he'd be like, yeah. oh, I don't know. And I could sort of hear them going, oh, no, no, but we really love that track, we really love that. So it was kind of a kind of a fun game, but you just need to feel that you are, exhausting everything else and then you know the 11th hour you go okay is anything beat it no talking heads done (laughs) you know benjamin one of the things that uh we started this show years ago as sean kind of mentioned at the beginning of the interview the whole purpose of our show is we want to bring highlighting to the ideas of like what people do behind the scenes of filmmaking and just kind of the shot choices like we just had m night Shyamalan on last week and just the the decisions that people make in terms of narrative choices, selective focus, shooting on film versus digital. And like one of the things that we get into our arguments on, or at least in our text thread, is how film versus digital, that debate. And you got Roger Deakins on one side, who's now shooting digitally and Fincher. And then you have the, the people who are still shooting film. This is your first major feature. Um, and you were able to shoot 35, which is incredible um so i wanted to ask because i remember we talked briefly about this in our tv interview earlier about how you kind of like wrote them a letter to, to to see if that and that would happen so just your, your experience you that, coming that. here can't you okay i'm saying you get, wrote a lot of letters get the typewriter out here we go yeah, <laughs> yeah dear a, apple yeah. and a24 it has been yeah. a dream of mine since i was eight years old <laughs> yeah well tell it tell us that yeah tell us the, like what was the letter so like you, yeah i mean i Okay, first of all, uh, you know, it's, I've always wanted to make, you know, not from like when I was eight years old, but probably like in my early 20s, I was like, okay, I sort of understood what a film director did. And I was like, started, you know, started to, started to think that maybe that might be a possibility. But it was, you know, it was really hard to, to, I was sort of working in television, I was working in documentaries and light entertainment, and I was sort of trying to make that crossover into, into film. But the two worlds felt really very separate and and you know the film world in the uk was relatively small you sort of had merchant ivory you had um uh, working title it wasn't you know it wasn't a big business and it seemed that the same people were making those movies and and hollywood and and the films over there just felt like planets away and 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 Mm. and certainly from you know i mean i i grew up in a in a i grew up in a pub in the west midlands uh, in, in, and so the idea of being a film director was such a sort of, um, well, it wasn't even an idea. So um, this is a very long story about shooting film. But so when my... This, this but, is the but, podcast that tell Okay, us. okay, okay. Yeah. So, but when, but when I, um, I wasn't one of those directors that had like a Super 8 camera that was kind of running around going, you know, making my first film when I was eight mm. years old. But what I did have is I had a, I had a film camera, a stills camera that I, um, that because at uh, school you could do, um, when you did your, uh, um, we called it like GCSEs or A levels, uh, as instead of doing sort of more um, in in art, you could you could just do photography. And so um, I sort of saved up enough money and I bought my uh, my first stills camera, which was this Nikon FM2. And I remember looking through yeah. the lens and something just going, 
there was just, I don't know, like just a, something that happened, a framing, a, a kind of connection with, oh, okay, I, this is, I, I, I like this. It's something, I love the characters that I can photograph, I love the scenes that I can photograph. But what I, what I loved more than anything was going into the dark room and turning the yeah. red light on. And then, you know, no one could interrupt you, not even like your teachers. You know, they could bang on the door, you're like, oh, no, sorry, I've got the print out. You, you know, have to give it a few minutes, even though you might be like having a small, you know, 40 winks, you know, having a nap and stuff like that. So, but it was like <laughs> the, that, that very early romance with film was for me through stills and celluloid and, you know, the, the processing and the smell of chemicals. So I guess that had stayed with me from then and, you know, carried carried with me through you know my career but at every opportunity I would come you know whether and it was main all those opportunities were in sort of television drama they you know you couldn't go I want to shoot I want to shoot this on um film because <laughs> they were maybe they were already shooting on digital and it just wasn't like Andor yeah and, Andor, like those like, shows what are, you're going to yeah, shoot no yeah. no that's not going to happen Ben you know or, or or the crown they'd already made that decision to shoot on digital so those they were those decisions just weren't available to me fast forward to sharper and then this was it this is the moment where you can actually define the terms and I thought if I don't say it now if I don't put a marker in the sand and shoot this on film if I don't set a precedent for this then in a few years time and I say I do want to do that then the then you know someone might turn around and go well you didn't shoot your first movie on film why do you want to do that now so so that was sort of part of my thinking but also um that's awesome a kind of love of those uh, films from the 70s and 80s, those character-driven movies, whether it be, you know, A Colour of Money, whether it be A Thomas Crown Affair, whether it be Clute, whether it be, you know, um, um, you know, the Scorsese movies, all those were, you know, they, they were shot on film. And I just thought if I wanted to kind of lean into that look and that feel of those movies, what better way than to, you know, put your arms around it and go, let's, you know, let's shoot this on film. And I guess, um, you know, there's just, there's no, there's nothing better, you know, than, than the sort of the happy accidents that happen with film. You know, I guess um, it's the, you know, the randomness of the grain, the way that it deals with the, the highlights and the lowlights, the way the sort of information in the, in the darkness of the frames. I think that so much now we are still, chasing the dream of making digital look like film that why not if you want to make something look like film shoot it on film yeah yeah i think kevin's going to ask you out on a date yeah that was (laughs) that was that was the most real blend answer that's ever been given yeah that was beautiful how perfectly you fit into this show like you don't understand yeah are you free once a week host our show with us yeah and he wrote and he literally wrote a letter to apple and a 24 and they didn't give him any pushback which is really kind of a cool you know yeah and that was and 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 i got i got my knuckles wrapped by the producers for that because i should have sort of gone (laughs) hey by the way um I'm going to write to, you know, I'm just going to ask about shooting a film. So, but I, I was at that point, I was like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in Manhattan and I'm here. I'm like, a fi- I'm a movie director. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to shoot this on film. I'm going to write to, uh, I'm going to write to all, you know, Apple and A24 and I'm going to pour my heart out and tell you the story I've just told you now. And, and I sent this letter off and then uh, Eric Feig, the producer called me up. He was like, Ben, great letter. 
just tell me next time you're going to send that, okay? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. But they, you know, to their credit, um, you know, Matt Dentler, Noah, Zach, you know, they were like, look, we don't want to upset the filmmaker. If he wants to shoot on film and it's going to cost the same, by all yep. means, you know, on your, on your head be it. <laughs> Wow. Love it. Every Love studio it. is about to start getting a lot of letters asking to shoot on film. Like, I feel bad <laughs> for all the studios from now on. Uh, ben, I, I'm grateful that I went into this movie cold. Uh, I knew I was going to be doing the junket and I had the screener and, and I thought, well, okay, well, I don't need to watch the trailer. I'll just press play. And I was really grateful because I got to kind of sort of organically discover what the film was about. And the, and the surprises were even bigger since I didn't know what to expect going in. Uh, I watched the trailer after and was grateful that I hadn't seen it in advance because there are a few beats in the trailer, not massive things, but there are just a couple of things I'm grateful that I didn't know going in. Um, I don't want to say them out loud because I don't want to ruin it for anyone. Uh, I'm just sort of curious. This has got to be a hard movie to make a trailer for because you don't really want to reveal anything, but you got to show people what it's about in some form or fashion. I'm just sort of curious your perspective of a filmmaker, uh, how tough it is to put this film into a two minute trailer without giving away anything that you don't want to give away. Well, I asked them not to make a trailer. <laughs> Did you write a letter How'd that letter that go by? That didn't work. That didn't work. Because of exactly that reason, I'm like, uh, how are we going to... And I understand, you know, look, you need to market a movie. You need to get it out there. And, 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 and trailers, I'm sure, um, get people who may not, you know, see the movie, go and watch the movie. But I, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you've just said. I encourage anyone to come to this movie and know nothing about it because I think um, that's what's sort of deliciously surprising about the film and you know I just I try and do that generally um, when I go and watch films now anyway I try and not I read reviews afterwards because I enjoy um, hearing what other people's perspectives are on on that film but before I go into it I love going in completely blind and mm. so it was really challenging and actually it's funny the first trailer they presented uh I was I was really upset about it because actually it gave way too much away and I was like oh and and I was like no no we've got this these secrets you've got to really really preserve and hold on to because you know if mm. you just like it's very easy to sort of tell someone a secret it's like a you know it's like a magic trick I mean some of the greatest magic tricks magic tricks are the technique behind them is it's kind of slightly um, rubbish, you know? It's yeah. like, oh, okay, it's just a piece of string or, oh, it's a twin or it's that, you know? And, and you can just literally say it like that and everyone's like, oh, right, okay, is that it? So you're, you know, you're preserving the magic of this, the sort of the, the misdirection. And, and I was like, you know, with Sharper, please can we hold on to that as much as possible? So they went away and they came back with that trailer. And yes, it does give away... Um, it gives away a couple of little twists and turns in there, but it's sort of also, it's clever. It kind of leans into something that it wants you to feel and think. So it's um, it's not, you know, ideally, as I said, I'd rather there be no trailer or, or maybe, I tell you what, to your listeners, go away and see if you can make a trailer that um, that is tantalizing and interesting that sort of doesn't give anything away. Interesting. Mm. We we always say when any time we put forth a, a challenge to our listeners, they often come back with some pretty <laughs> yeah, amazing yeah, stuff. They, so I would they not might, be they might send you yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. No joke. <laughs> I, I would not be surprised if if uh, some of our listeners actually took that challenge and, and tried to cut a trailer. One of the things that I want to dive into uh, with you uh, is your your composition of of specific shots um, because you can't watch fifteen minutes of this movie without realizing that you are very deliberately setting up your actors. Um, the action happening in your scenes, whether it be 
there's this terrific shot of the character Sandra um, through a bookcase where only her uh, face is framed through the light that's coming through. There's an amazing shot of of Sebastian standing up in a, a window well, essentially, and his reflection comes across the the uh, table in the in in John Lithgow's boardroom, and it's like sometimes you just catch your breath at uh, the beauty that you're capturing. And I realize that there's a lot of thought that's going into how you are framing your action. And so, just briefly, if you could talk to me a bit about how you approach uh, specific shots, because you're not wasting any time. You're not just capturing action to capture action. Um, wow, that's really touching. By the way, that's very kind. That that that's, um, that what you just said. Um, I, I, it's really hard to sort of unpick this because, um, you know, there's just a feeling sometimes when you are um, directing a scene that you are looking for a kind of tone or a mood or a feeling that is um, in sort of, is bubbling underneath what's what's sort of going on in the scene. And I guess... um, Maybe it sort of goes back to my love of photography and the love of mm. the power of an image and and what you know what the sort of semiotics of an image and what that can that secret language that we're sort of trying hard to convey to an audience without also without trying too hard to show that we are you know doing that so it's mm. and and that is also by the way something that you that I really try and blend in with the performances of your actors because um, it's all very well coming to a scene with a kind of um, a pre-existing idea about um, this particular shot or this particular frame. And and often that does happen. You know, um, Charlotta and I had a, had a, a lookbook of, of many, many frames that we had um, been inspired by and not, not just... Um, Films, but photography and art, um, you know, and images that actually we had taken while going out on location recce. So this is sort of big um, bumper book of, of kind of images that um, you, you, you're sort of just constantly digesting and trying to um, trying to kind of uh, simplify. And I guess that was sort of one of the guiding principles for this film was just always to simplify, to kind of boil down, to 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 the reduce down to the sort of um the desire kind of uh mood and feeling of the of the scenes. And then you come to this and then you you know you turn up on the day and you have these brilliant actors, um, you know, a stellar cast, and you you want to be surprised by what they're going to do, and you don't necessarily mm. want to sort of pin them down into a in, into a um, um, you know a, a pre-existing idea. So so that that's when the sort of brilliant dance happens, and that's when the the, the kind of the choreography between what you're trying to imbue with their sort of performance starts to kind of meld together, and that's when you know that's the alchemy. That's when the magic happens, and and I love. You know, I'm naturally quite m- mischievous and I love playing on set and I love um, playing with actors and, uh, you know, sort of pushing them and giving them what I call a permission to fail. And that just means taking them outside their comfort zone and um, not just sort of, um, you know, not necessarily just always what they've prepared either, like sort of pushing them towards places they hadn't really thought about or sort of trying different ways of approaching the scene. So you have that, that you're kind of, you know, that's the drama. And in many ways, that's what really matters in a movie, because that's what I'm, you as a viewer are going to lean into. Like, I love the fact that you've picked up on those shots. And of course, that 
that, you know, uh, is music to my ears. That ultimately, if the drama isn't isn't good enough, then none of those shots are really going to matter. Um, wow. And you know, the one that you talked about there with um, with Sebastian in the office, that was, um, you know, that started about because you know, uh, I guess we went to that location, and uh, and that location, by the way. They'd never shot there before, and it was sort of it came. It was on the table, and then suddenly went off the table. It's a it's a very famous law firm in New York. It's called White and Case, and they suddenly got a bit. They got jitters because it was COVID, and then uh, I was like, "Oh man, what are we going to do?" We, we, I, you fall in love with the location, like, and they're like, and the location manager is like, "Oh god," you know, and they're like trying to show you other stuff. You're like, "No, no, I want to go there," and they're like, they're saying no, and like, and I and. So one, of the, I hate being told no. <laughs> it's like the worst thing in the world. And, you know, I'm someone else can sort of dive into that. But it's like when someone says no, you're like, why not? And uh, surely there must be a way of doing that. So then um, this is such a round. You know, I'm not even answering your question anymore. But anyway, um, I, I was like, <laughs> OK, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that office. So then I remembered one of my friends was a lawyer who uh, who worked in London. And I was like, do you know anyone at this company? He was like, no, no, but this this person does. So I got in touch with them. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, one of my best friends is a partner there. And I was like, right, I'm going to write a letter. <laughs> 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 so I wrote a letter to him. And he was like, he was like, uh, he, he came through. He was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And I went back to the location man. I was like, I was like, he's got, he's going to make it work. He said yes, and he's like, uh, he's like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, yeah, and it's going to be free, and and we're going to go in there. And then of course it sort of, you know, it wasn't free, and they charged a huge amount of money, and we had to do an exclusive. I mean, they're lawyers, you know, they they yeah. stitched us up. Yeah, yeah. We had to do an exclusive screening in the in uh, for them, which happened a couple of weeks ago. But anyway, whatever it takes, we got back in there because that room and those corridors and. That that particular location in sort of Midtown was timeless. You know, it was off, it was near where Radio City was. Those big, big, those sort of big avenues, those those sort of sixties um, style sixties um, architecture was for me where you know very wealthy people aren't down in the um, you know uh, downtown. What's that? You know the, the Wall Street. They're not down there anymore. They're in they're in Midtown. They're in like these mm-hmm. offices which are like empty. Massive lateral offices which are empty because it just says well. So that that was like I, that was like the perfect um, location for me. And then and then you sort of bring John Lithgow and and Sebastian there, and you kind of you sort of you know you you play with them, and you're all sort of looking through the viewfinder, and it just that those shots through the table, and then and I remember when John got up the first time he got up, he stood up, and then the, the chair just naturally sort of rotated round and you're like okay that's cool it's just I don't know what that means but it means something and I like it so we'll just we'll run with that and then and then I was like you know Sebastian you know just stand up have a look around and then you know he just sort of walks around and of course he just steps up onto the windowsill and you're like wow that's amazing that frame that that sort of power that that gives and you're like I'll take it I'll grab it so those are like happy. I mean, I you know I could lie to you and go. I had that image in my head, but these are kind of <laughs> happy accidents that sort of happen when you're filming that you right. you have to kind of push and nudge and be open to and 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 you know and some lot of them are rubbish and you have to discount, but you have to kind of go through that to find it. Gotcha. Well, we're no no we're being we're being given one minute left. Um, what? So, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to ask you this real quick because um, you mentioned something just now about magic and like magic tricks and kind of like filmmaking and, and illusions and things like that. And I remember when I was eight years old, I watched Terminator 2 Judgment Day for the first time. And like I remember sitting on my couch because I loved magic growing up as a kid and I was wanting to know how tricks were done. And I remember looking at my mom and dad going, how did they do that? Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, do you remember the first magic trick you saw as a filmmaker that lit that spark? Yeah, I do. I made a film about him. He's called Tommy Cooper, and he's a he was a, um, a a British sort of comedian magician that would do magic tricks that would go wrong. And I found him incredibly <laughs> funny. And he was actually a really really good magician, but his particular kind of um, his, his stick was magic that kind of went wrong and sort of comedy and. He was, it was like, he was massive in the sort of 60s and 70s and it used to run on television all the time. And like you, I was sort of seven, eight years old and I remember seeing that and going, wow, I'm just, I, 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 I love the, the sort of feeling that that gave you when you sort of saw a magic trick. And I ended up, um, my dad brought me to London and we went to this really small um, magic shop near Chancery Lane. It's closed now and going in there and like sort of, you know, buying that first magic trick and it was like a sort of coin disappearing trick and and then coming back home and and the wonder that when you did that in front of people, the sort of that 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 sort of that performance and the and the brilliance that you would sort of the response that you would get from people. So so I ended up like going, Oh yeah, I'm gonna be a magician and uh and I would go, um my mum ran a uh, an old people's home and so I'd go in there and I'd do tricks for, for like magic shows for like the the elderly. Um <laughs> Which, which was kind of interesting, but, you know, it was a sort of mixed bag because half of them were sort of asleep and most of them couldn't see or hear you. But, you know, it was, some, it was moderate success. And then I'd go and do, and then really disastrous shows for, like, you know, 12-year-old um, birthday parties. When I, I, know, so I was probably, no, I was probably, like, 12 or 13 and I was doing magic shows at kids' parties and it was a disaster because I just didn't have the authority and they'd run up and they'd, like, try and, you know, look in your sleeve and it would fall apart. But... I just loved, I know, but I loved, I don't know, the process and the, and, and the art that went into magic. And I guess in so many ways, I've carried that with me through, you know, through all of the work I've done. And certainly in Sharper, there's a lot of the, um, the engineering that goes into magic that we've sort of, you know, brought into this. Incredible. Ben, we are unfortunately out of time. They're about to jerk us out of this room. But if you cannot tell, we are last, we are fans of you one? and your work. And, and we, we just truly on, just we? appreciate uh, you taking the time to chat. Hopefully you enjoyed yourself. So maybe like one more question, maybe. They got to wrap up. So. Okay. You can carry on if you want. Can we get one more? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Jake, go ahead. Do you have time? Uh, well, uh, oh my God, I wasn't prepared. Uh, well, I am, if you don't mind, just because uh, I geeked out with you a little bit before and I know our audience uh, is a massive fan of your work on Andor. And so I would be remiss if I didn't uh, get your, your opinion on something because I really want to follow up on something that you just told me about an hour ago, which is that you're just not a massive Star Wars fan. <laughs> and I feel, which I find to be because oftentimes I'm going to get hear, taken like, out. I mean, no, I know. I, but I think that's brilliant though, because I mean, the fact that you turned in the quality of work that you did, I mean, that you're at your and or is, is your, your episodes are some of the best Star Wars I've ever seen in my life. Wow. I'm just curious if, I love if, you. If you think that like <laughs> it some is it better sometimes maybe to have an emotional disconnection from a material we, we often hear about jj abrams growing up with star wars and i loved what he did but the fact that you gave us what you did not being a rabid insane star wars fan i find to be fascinating and, and do you think there's value in, in having that disconnect i do personally because that's 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 my 
that's my way into this. And I guess, look, the, the, the example I could give would be, um, you know, there was, <laughs> when, you know, there's a world where you get on a set of Star Wars and you're like, whoa, look at those creatures, or whoa, look at that building, or whoa, look at that starship. I was like, yeah, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not entirely true. Some of the creatures were like pretty cool, but you're like, I'm not going to, there's not like a sort of sub story where I'm going to go off and fetishize those creatures. You know, that <laughs> they are like, they are sort of just the part of the beautiful landscape that exists. And, you know, if, if we were somewhere else, you know, if we were, um, um, you know, in a, in a, in a Western, you know, they, they're just the people that coexist, you know, on, on the sidelines. And so I guess, there was, but for my take, it was like, okay, that's part of the world. They exist. If you see them, you see them. If you don't, you don't. But um, I'm going to focus, my guiding principle is I'm going to focus on the characters and, and follow them as, as you know, as, as like an arrow as much as I can. Um, you know, I, 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 one of the great things about doing Andor and it was a having, you know, meeting Tony, I, I'm, forever indebted, you know, with, with working with him. I, I learned so much from him and I think he's just a brilliant, brilliant mind. And, and, and he is the reason why, you know, the great success of Andor and, and obviously the yeah. amazing cast. But I, I sort of wanted to go from, you know, I'd been working on The Crown for five, six years and it was a, you know, historical period drama, which allowed me to flex so many different muscles. But I, I wanted to go and do something that um, was terrifying and was different and and what better than to go and make a you know an adventure in 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 space right, um, right. and I remember the the very last episode um, you know he wrote which um, which was the rhythm of that piece was very very particular you know it was uh, a lot of it was you know him and Nicholas Patel had written this piece of music and so much of it was um, were you know was was you, you had to be really sure about um, where characters were, how long you were with the characters, mm-hmm. where certain moments were happening in the piece of music. So that was that was a very new thing to me, you know, I guess. So I had to be a really good student and be well prepared on that episode. So I had right. so so are we with my cinematographer, Damien, who's amazing, and uh, my um, assistant, George, and my first Finn, we spent... Two weeks on a on a half built bat lot in um in you know in um uh Ferrix. Pine. Uh, no, it wasn't Pinewood. It's was actually down the road. It was sort of um it was a bit further down the road from Pinewood. But um we were like they were building it around us, and we were like out there with an iPhone shooting every single scene and trying to work out the sight lines and the perspective. So by the time and then and then I went back to the you know, to my editor, Jan, who is Kurt Sharper, and we pieced it together. So by the time I actually came to shoot Andor, I'd pretty much shot most of that film on my wow. phone. So I knew, so actually it was like, it was one of the best shoots because I could have this comfort, this warm comfort blanket of knowing that it worked. And obviously there's yeah. like, you know, on the day you could sort of play around with it, but it was like the most disciplined I've ever been in terms of directing and, and also kind of rewarding, but in a very different way. And they're going to hate us for keep going. But like, was it you that wanted the first F-bomb? Because I'd read that, that that someone wanted the first F-bomb in that speech at the funeral. Was it you that wanted it? And how close were you guys to getting it? 
You mean fuck the empire? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was Tony. That's all. That is Tony. And he, you know, right from the very beginning, he's like, we're going to do this. We're going to get away with this. I mean, I, Disney have said no, but we, like, there is no way. I'm, I am not letting them get away with this. And I was like, all right, okay, we're going to do it. And then, uh, yeah, so I, somewhere out there, there is a recording. Oh, so you guys shot it. Hell yeah. <sighs> I, I, I was like, Fiona Shaw. Yeah, I mean, Fiona Shaw. That was like the first thing that came out of her mouth, you know, when we were <laughs> shooting that. But, and then they were like, then the producer was like, okay, you need to get a safety. And I'm like, oh, come on. They were like, you need a safety. So yeah, so in my head. A letter to uh, it, George it, Lucas. In my head, when I see that. I, I hear fuck the empire, not fight the empire. Wait, wait why? I don't understand. Like, the, the, you're allowed to have one f bomb in a quote unquote PG thirteen type of world. Like, like, and Disney now has R rated material on their platform, I and mean, they should have just allowed that one. I, I no comment. Uh, ben, honestly, thank you so much for your time. And we can honestly talk to you all day. And we hope you enjoyed yourself on the show. Yeah, I did. Uh, it was these fun. stories, these insights were incredible. And uh, we can't, we're going to continue to push the movie and get everybody to go to go check it out. So continued success, man. We really appreciate you. Yeah, coming yeah, by. yeah. Please thank come you so back. much. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. We want to thank Benjamin Karen for coming on the show uh, and our friends at Apple TV Plus, in addition to Ben's uh, reps, for giving him some time on here. Look out for Sharper. Like I mentioned, it's in um, limited release right now. It's going to be coming to Apple TV Plus. It's definitely worth checking out, and we'll give a longer review on it when we get there. Okay, there was a news story that I wanted to get to uh, to discuss, and it involves the uh, AMC Theater's pricing changes uh, that they are suggesting. I'm not sure when when or if these are ever going to go into effect. And Gabe wanted to throw out a little something before oh, we yeah. started I mean, talking about it. I don't, legal, I don't think there's no legal disclosure we need to make, but I want to give the disclosure of sometimes AMC Theaters sponsors the show. You've probably, if you've been listening, you've probably heard some things. Uh, so take everything that we say here, I guess with the grain of salt um, that you well, might they're need. Also- they're not sponsoring this episode. Um, and hopefully, I think we have countless examples of wonderful interviews with filmmakers who we then 
tell you immediately afterwards why we didn't like their movie or what didn't work for us. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully we've gained a little bit of uh, credibility in your eyes. But just wanted to give that out there. Of, of obviously, that's a thing, but we feel the way yeah. that we feel about this. And and absolutely, like AMC is also a, a great partner, content partner with Cinema Blend. And sure. I mean, I would still choose to go to AMC theaters in my market regardless. But I wanted to bring this up because I find this to be pretty interesting, not just for what AMC is doing, but if the rest of the industry is going to go in this direction. Right. And if it's going to be something that we need to be paying attention to because it might affect other uh, facets of the entertainment industry as well, too. So just if you have no idea what we're even talking about, I want to give you guys an idea that um, Variety earlier this week reported that there was going to be a new pricing structure. Uh, And here they say the initiative kicks off on Friday at select AMC locations in New York, Chicago and Kansas City and will be expanded to all domestic AMC locations by the end of the year. So you might have a little time before it comes here, but it's essentially going to be um, a sightline type of approach to ticketing in a multiplex. So you'll have a standard and a value and a preferred to give you an idea how that goes. The standard is going to be the most common traditional cost, what you would normally pay for the price of a movie ticket when you go. The value is going to be allegedly the the front row uh, and it'll come at a cheaper cost for your ticket. But of course, you know, it's not a place where you ultimately want to sit. I don't know uh, how many people, I don't know if theaters. I've ever met anybody that likes the front row ticket. I'm sure they exist. And I've well, only you know, ever sat there if I was if I had to. Yeah, I'll tell you what's what's unusual. But well, let me just finish yeah, get to the, the, sorry, yeah. the preferred the preferred ticket um, is going to be the more expensive version of your movie ticket. And it's going to be essentially the middle of the auditorium. So I, I guess this applies to as we get into discussing it now, I, I want to just figure out some questions I have about the theory. Like mm-hmm. this essentially applies to when you're uh, reserving tickets online, right? And yeah. you're picking mm-hmm. your seat. Um, or even at the theater, probably, too, when you get to the kiosk and you're yeah, choosing yeah, whatever your you seat, buy. Your yeah. Choose whatever yeah. the point of sale is. Yeah, because I, I'll say that, like, more often than not, when I go into a movie theater, it's not crowded. Um, I can't remember the last, I guess, Spider-Man No Way Home, you know, opening weekend, which was like an event. And I guess that's kind of what they're going for. Uh, but if you went to an AMC on a on a Tuesday evening, let's just say, and you went into the auditorium, you would kind of have your pick of the theater, wouldn't yeah, you? Right. Like, uh, which, 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 I want to point yeah. out, sorry, in your example, they do know, because there are a couple, <clears throat> excuse me, other details one is the Tuesday $5 tickets is not going to change. So it's funny that you gave a random Tuesday. Oh, as really? Example. That's so, funny. Gotcha, so, gotcha. So mm. technically, no, that won't change. They, so with the other details that they mentioned to get fully into the weeds, it's only screenings after 4 p.m. Um, it's going to be, it's not on Tuesdays. They had a couple other caveats. And then if you're okay. like an AMC Stubbs member, you won't be affected, not affected by it. From what I yeah. understand. So um, there's like a bunch of other incentives and small things. I, but I think the larger... Issue that a lot of people have, I think some of us probably have, and and especially on face value, is it kind of feels like you're you're you know economically gatekeeping the quote unquote preferred experience mm. uh, for people, and I think that's what a lot of people took, myself included, um, offense to. I guess is the word. Like it just feels icky. Is the simple way to put yeah. it. Yeah. I think um, that, I think I think Elijah Wood kind of put it well. I'm going to tweet. Sure, I'm going to yeah. read his tweet real quick. So he said, "Quote: The movie theater is and always has been a sacred democratic space for all, and this new initiative by AMC theaters would essentially penalize people for lower income and, rec- and reward higher income, um, which is interesting." And I said this on the air today on on my show, and this is not like uncommon for 
sports concerts, exactly. Broadway. Yeah. Um, and obviously you sit closer to the field of the 50 yard line in a football game. You're spending a lot more money than, than you would in the 400 levels or, you know, like sure. Nas. If I'm going to see Nas is coming to MSG in a couple right. uh, weeks and like he'll have a he'll, he has a, a ton of uh, front row tickets that are a thousand dollars and you can sit the other place for 200. And that's just a common thing. But to have it happen in a movie theater is strange, but also at a time where we are trying our hardest to get people back in the theaters as much as possible. And that's obviously my point, right, why make it harder in I any way? And that's the thing. This is just another way to give a, an excuse to like people like my mom and dad who are hesitant to go back to the theater still because we are still in a pandemic. And at the same time, you know, the initiative idea of like wanting people to spend more money to sit in those seats I can just see my mom and dad going, I'll just wait for it to hit VOD. Like, and, and, yeah. and like, and that's the, the thing at the end of the day. I mean, like we've noticed this a lot. We've talked about this a lot on the show. The pandemic has proven to us, at least now, what types of films people are leaving their houses for. Right. Um, and it's those blockbusters, the avatars, the Top Gun Mavericks and horror movies. Horror movies are doing extremely well um, in theaters. Um, and so the middle of the road films, and I mean by that is like the dramas, the the um, you know the Fablemans, the Banshees of Inisherin, um, great films, but films that really do skew older, right? Um, are are gonna be more affected by this? It really kind of it's a weird time to do it. Like right now, it feels like you know with everything happening right now, with people really trying to get people back in the theaters, it seems like it's almost well, like let's just push everyone back again why not do you think like, they saw avatar it. do you think they saw avatar packing theaters and they they got reminded of the way that it used to be because you're 100 right like with me it's a supply and demand issue right mm-hmm. and if there was a huge demand for tickets sure right and then all of a sudden you'd be like well now we can charge a little bit extra because everyone's trying to grab these tickets but i think you're 100 right like in between the blockbuster events yeah I think theaters are hurting for people. This to is not a Taylor come. Swift concert. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. This is like smile, you know, this right. is like, so. And I, I think, just, yeah, I'm confused yeah. by it. It's more than it, anything. It is I'm confused confusing. By it. I mean, I business wise, I get it. Sure. I guess. Sure. But because you're yeah, I mean, well, yeah, they're saying they're going to make more money. I'm curious. I think for for us, for this much smaller piece of the pie that are people like us who are probably feel really one really romantic about the theatrical experience. We're probably thinking of a version of ourselves right now. Who's 12 or 13 saving up. Maybe they have a job or whatever, and they're trying to see as many movies as they can. We're thinking about the times that we fell in love with movies Mm -hmm. and imagining that that being harder sucks. And I, and I, I, that's how I feel. I do feel that way. I am curious that with us being the smaller piece of the pie, with them rolling this out, I'm really curious to see how a general audience reacts to this because sure. one, I don't think we have any details yet about like how broadly those seats, like, is it, you know, let's say it's a 200 seat theater. Is it 10 seats? They're going to cost more or is it right, right. 50 seats? They're going to cost. And what more? is you the know? price difference? Like, like yeah, for example, like how many dollars difference exactly. is the we, middle and the, and the front. Those are the, those are the details we don't have yet. And I think they're like keeping that vague because they're, they're probably rolling that out and they're probably trying to figure out like, what's the threshold. I wouldn't be surprised if if the public, if the larger public doesn't like it and they don't um, like we're like you guys are alluding to the, the idea of ticket prices going up when we're Ooh. trying to build interest. I could see this not working and, and completely, you know, no. not rolling but out by the end of the year. Look at Ant-Man coming out next week. OK, Ant-Man right. is coming out in IMAX 
I want to say 3D. I'm almost certain Dolby. It'll be in all the and, and then whatever other. Um, I mean, I guess we're talking about AMC specifically, but whatever premium formats are, are given, right. you're already upcharging. First of all, that movie's not shot in 3D, and then they're going to charge yeah. you whatever extra dollars to see it in 3D, uh, which I, you know, I you know, wouldn't recommend because it wasn't shot in 3D. Um, but in terms of that, you're already upping the charge. There's already a premium added to the IMAX. There's, I mean, an IMAX ticket for Quantum Mania on a Saturday night at seven o'clock. I don't want to have this wrong, but it's definitely over twenty dollars, right. at least where I live. <laughs> to, um, to and close, so it's crazy. So that's a good point. And to close that thought that that I was having, if it's if it is the it's only ten seats, you know, if it is a small amount, if they really are targeting people like us who are going to be like, man, I really want to be center of house right there, even with the screen or whatever, and I'm going to pay the extra five bucks. These are all numbers that I'm making up. Sure. And more like the majority of the seats are still going to be a normal price. And the the person that sees three movies a year and they're usually superhero movies or big blockbuster movies aren't going to even notice because maybe they're not even going to get on early enough to get the seats that are preferred. You know, like right. I, I'm very curious to see if I know why we're upset by it. But I am curious if they're going to feel any sort of incentive along those lines from from the larger public or if, yeah, if you it's, mentioned depending on how it rolls out, if they're just going to kind of not care because it's not going to affect them. I you mentioned know. an interesting point. The The general audience goes to, uh, on average, two movies a year. Is that right? Two to three? I think it's Is that three, right? But it might be. Yeah, I oh. think three was the average I always heard. But so, Kev, let's I mean, say yeah. if if you were not not you. Right. Sure. And you were someone who saw three movies a year. <laughs> and this year in particular, you knew that Oppenheimer was one of them. Right. Yeah. Huge Nolan fan. You know that he makes movies for the theater yeah. and you found out you had to pay a little bit extra for the middle seat for the most immersive experience possible. You would do it. Right. I would do it. Yeah, because I guess. Well, and that's really kind of then another interesting point you bring up. If you do go to the movies three times a year, is this something that would bother you? Probably not. I mean, like, like, if, like, it, like, in the not. sense of like, it might not because it, like, if you're now, if you're someone who goes once a uh, once every two weeks, once a month, or whatever it is, you might start feeling that additional thing. Absolutely. But like the, the the story you just told sounds like you're almost like you're going to a concert event, yeah. and it's like you know going to see Oppenheimer's like. You're leaving the house. It's a right. special night. It's once every four months. Yep. I could see the person going, yeah, I would yeah. pay an extra two dollars to get the best seat because I don't go often. Right. It's the people that go a lot, which mm-hmm. there are people who well, go and, a lot. And those know? movies like I'm thinking of, you know, recently, like when I went to go see Dune um, yeah. in a public screening and that thing was packed. Mm-hmm. Most people didn't have the best seat. Like most people were were happy yeah. to sit wherever for that event right. film. And so that's the I that's kind of the 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 larger point is we have to wait and see how the actual um, market, quote unquote, to make it sound cold, is going to respond to yeah. it. Because I know why I think it sounds gross. I know why I don't like the idea. You know, I don't love the idea of like, hey, opening night or hey, the first two weeks in theaters, it's going to be more expensive if you want to be a part of the cultural event. Like all these things that they're trying to find ways to make more money. I do under I understand the business of it. I understand that incentive. I understand, you know, theaters being closed for two years and needing to. But theaters don't make, make their money that. on on tickets. They make their money on concessions. concessions. That's the weird. That's the weird part. That's like they make well, a very small amount on the tickets. Fair, but maybe but maybe this preferred maybe 100 percent of the preferred pricing goes to them. Oh, that's, I don't know no, this. I do. That's. You know, but if that's actually a good point. If Disney's saying, well, we're going to take six of the, or we're going to take, you know, 12 of the $16. And they say, well, we're going to start 20 bucks oh, and we'll get, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how that, that works. Gabe, that might thing. be it because 
and famously that i mean that's why your concessions cost so much movie theaters you yeah. know again i'm this is just a uh, i'm just being like you know random here but let's say a, a large popcorn costs amc a dollar to make and right. they're selling it to you for nine or ten dollars wherever it is mm-hmm. that's their money right. like oh, yeah. the the percentage of them but that's why with, even with someone like an m night Shyamalan, you know when he pays for his own films even like that percentage, he gets so much of that money and the studio gets a certain percentage. But like I, I, if somebody listening can let us know, I'd love to know like the what percentage um, movie theaters actually get from ticket sales, because I'm curious. Gabe brings so up a very interesting point. Maybe the, maybe I, the I premium is for them firm numbers, but it's it's um, I believe there's like a schedule like it's like within the first X weeks. Of oh, the release, yeah. Most of it goes to the studio. And then as it gets further out from release, um, the theater the theater keeps more and more. That's why there's always like dollar shows or like those $5 shows. You know, you can see mm. something six months after it came out, those theaters that mm. live on that because they're like, you know, pretty much keeping their past the profit. You know, and yeah. And they can the charge food. five bucks because yeah. they're, they're making $4 on it instead of also, am I else. a psychopath? I like sitting on the aisle. Okay. So you're like this too. No, I was going to note, I was gonna <laughs> note our editor in chief, uh, Mac is like that as well. So he's, he's, I this need like, hey, good for me. I need legroom, and so I like to be able to sort of pivot and put my legs out straight into the into the um, the aisle, the steps. I always sit in the Christopher Nolan seat because, like, he yeah, has really? a very he has a seat in uh, at Universal City Walk that he sits in because he tests his dailies right um, there, and uh, I think it's like K sixteen or J sixteen, but it's like. Right in the dead center. I've sat in it. It's phenomenal. (laughs) Like with the stadium seating places, I try to sit center of the screen itself, like in height. Um, Unless it's like too far, but. You want to charge me extra? Give me that seat that has the bars right in front of it. Those are the best. Those are the best. I I would pay extra for those every single time. (laughs) To be able to put my feet up on them (laughs) or stretch my legs out. We I saw somebody on Twitter that said that they were going to that they were. Why don't you just buy a ticket in the front row and then just move when the movie starts? Well, that's that's my point. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Oh my God, they're going to have they're going to have ushers like at sports, <laughs> like at, at, like games like, uh, well, sorry, this is not your section. But that's right. How are they going to enforce they it? They're not going to have some that. teenager no, no, come in and say, many. let me check your ticket stuff. Well, no, okay. I, just I don't buy know. a front row seat. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like buying a child ticket. There's too many questions. There's too many questions that we have about like, how much is it going to be? How many seats is it really going to be? Oh, my God. I assume that's why it's limited and they're like rolling it out is because they don't really know and they need more information. I will say to to stay on the like, you know, romantic idea of the theaters. I love being able to pick my seat because I love sitting in that seat. Mm. But even that ruins some of the romance of growing up. And mm. well, one, mm-hmm. I love it because I skip trailers. But the romance mm. of growing up and getting there really early, like earlier than anyone else, because I want to get the seat. Yeah, you I skip trailers I, and I have to and I have to get there. Yeah. Yeah, why would I sit there and watch trailers? That's interesting. What? That's interesting. That's my favorite thing to do is watch <laughs> trailers. I mean, we've been doing this podcast for how long? You know, I don't like watching trailers. My buddy st- sits outside in the hallway till the too many spoilers. Are also, trailers. yeah. Wait, wait, wait a second. You're on a movie site. You watch trailers all the time. I have to. Yeah, I know. This is the. This is my. But, this is my burden. This is the cross. But when I you, bear. but when you were a kid, dude. When I, when you were a kid. Okay, so we discussed this before, but back in the sure. day before the internet existed. Yeah, that was the Different way story. you found out movies were coming out. Different story. Yeah. Like that. You didn't now like them back then. Oh, uh, I would say it was probably, it probably was in the last 10 or 15 years that I really started like paying attention to how much. I can imagine young Gabe being annoyed were. at the trailers. 
I was the man, footage I was. being shown. Yeah, because well, it was especially if you watch a lot of movies and you're like paying attention to movies and not just you know, not just not just like enjoying movies as content, but if you're like trying to study them or learn them or or whatever, you watch them enough, you start to learn patterns. You see something in a trailer and you go, oh well, that's a very third act thing, so that'll be in the third act. The thing mm-hmm. that most annoys me, and maybe it's just my own brain. I'll see something in the trailer, and as much as I don't want to remember that I saw it, I'll be an hour and ten minutes into a movie and go, you know what? Waiting we haven't seen it. that shot uh, of him on the thing, so this is how, what's going to happen because I saw that that you know, I, mm-hmm. my brain starts putting the puzzle piece together, and I don't want it to. Not but a bad yeah, point. I, 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 I don't like to Gabe, but, in Gabe's defense, I've I've sat in many movies and said, oh wait, where where's this scene? Where's the, when's the shot? Yeah, that's why Marvel's so interesting. Is they they misdirect sure. Marvel will misdirect in trailers, which is actually remember like the whole famous um, mm-hmm. End Game with Tony and um, Cap shaking hands. It was like not yeah. what it was in the trailers. It was very. But there's different. that. Um, I think it's still going on that lawsuit for the yesterday trailer. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. That becomes a thing. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Who was the actress like, who was shown? Who was the actress? Anna, Anna Darmus, I believe. Oh, right, all right, yeah. Yeah. But people thought she was in it. Yeah, because and that's a little different than, I guess, you know, it's not quite like completely misdirecting the plot. It's more like we were here to see this person. I don't know. That's, that's complicated. But the legal precedent that it sets, that I, I was hearing someone break it down, is like the way that they'll have to categorize trailers is they won't be expressive. Like right now, they're like considered expressive art. Um, mm. and so in, if that's, if they can get sued for the trailer being misleading, then like trailers will have to be super literal and like mm. how kind of that'll make trailers worse if they have to, that, yeah. they have to exactly, I don't know. It, it was kind of an interesting, complicated topic, but thank you guys extra to go in for the trailers now. <laughs> I, I, I added uh, price to go in early and watch them. Yeah. <laughs> do you think do, this I don't like them because when I go to a public screening and the trailers play, it's literally a half an hour. It's a half an hour of trailers. And every time another one comes up, I'm like, you should start the movie. And then they have some sort of pre-roll, you know, like advertising the theater and the concession stands and all that jazz. Like, just start the movie at that point. Then I get a little itchy. You guys are killing me. I love the trailers. This all started with me saying I do. Yeah, the theaters, it's a romantic experience. Probably most people listening here feels that way. I think so. I mean, oh, I I do want to ask. I don't know if you guys have any final thoughts, but before we move on. I am really curious, like to a person, how people feel about this, if they feel like it'll affect them or not. Sean, and and you, you mentioned an example of you're like, I don't even really want those quote unquote preferred seats. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't. I mean, so I, I, I want to hear from people at home. I, this sounds awful, but like I don't pay to go to the movies that often. I go sure, to for you screenings. personally, it's not going to affect you, right? So I feel like, yeah, it won't. Um but again, when, I'm when we do home, as a people. group, yeah, when we do as a group, when we do oh, go. Yeah. Um, when Pop Pop takes the, the family out for a, a <laughs> Shake Shack, yeah, a Shake Shack night in movies. <laughs> it's getting you more know, expensive nowadays. Yeah, you, you imagine yeah. doing a Shake Shack at a preferred seating night? See, oh, man. I, um, I value the movies so much that I feel like I would pay the extra um because I don't mind paying because I enjoy going so much. Like I enjoy yeah. the experience and that's right. what I would want to spend my money on. And would I be annoyed that they're charging more? Of course, you know, I think on principle. Kind of thing. Yeah. To your point, I think on principle, raise the ticket, pri- raise ticket prices. If that's what the market needs. Sure. If that's what your business needs. Um, but there is something inherently, I think, icky, like I said, to be simple. Mm. Um, about the idea of some people get to enjoy it this way. Those who 
unfortunately cannot a- attain that now don't get to enjoy it that way the idea of especially movies mm. uh as an art form being sort of uh blocked off to people because of where they are financially is inherently gross if everything you know the same effect happens if everything becomes this new preferred price okay now it's more expensive to go to the theaters now less people in general can go so it's it's one of those like it's more of an argument on principle than practice maybe but Mm. it's true it just feels it feels wrong to to not allow people who are passionate about it but maybe can't afford um you're asking people to pirate stuff you know at this stage of the game kev out kev what's your general what's your final consensus on it I mean, I, 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 I don't like it, obviously. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, we're dealing we're in a day and age where Regal Cinemas is is filing for bankruptcy and like theaters aren't, you know, theaters need help. Theaters need consistent attendance. And, you know, I think this is going to be a good year for for attendance. Obviously, there's a lot of anticipated films with Creed and Quantumania, Quantumania, um, and then uh, <laughs> Oppenheimer and Dune Part Two. I mean, there's a lot going on, so I think you know, you know, I, I, I think it's a, I, I think it's a poor timing choice. Let, let you mm. know, let's say pandemic didn't happen, you know, and we were in a, we were in a world where theater experience like didn't dip the way it did and things like that. They would you probably know, still eventually do this. It, I mean, it's, it would, we, yeah, it might've come about, it's but a it's business the, regardless. The timing is bad, but also Gabe brings up a really good point. Just raise the ticket prices a dollar or two. If you, if you, if you, I'm not, I'm, listen, I'm yeah. not advocating for, for people to be charged more. I just want to clarify that, sure. but I'm just saying it's, instead of making this, this weird situation where people are divided by certain seat preference and pricing if you just raise the prices across the board by one or two dollars yeah then but you, again, then we- you then you hit it and then and then you and you're not uh you're not putting other people in different like about my anchor today on the air he even said like well i sit in the back right corner of the theater when i go I'm like that's so what, i won't be if i won't be point. affected that's yeah. my point is that the, the preferred seating is based on people like kevin and myself who are like i want to sit where the filmmaker sits when they mix this movie right most people don't give a shit most people right. just grab the first seat that has a space between them and the stranger that you know they don't want to be yeah. next like you know like it's, well i wanted to bring up too like there's a theater by me that i like going to that has four rows of the you know cushy plush chairs with the recliners and the way that this the auditorium is uh situated the first row is far enough away from the screen that it's actually the one that that i like to sit in where i feel like i'm close and in the movie but not Mm. like the upfront so if you tell me like that's cheaper to sit in that front row i want to sit in that front row anyway it's weird like it's not it's gonna be such a strange situation like even theater by theater if you know the auditorium that you like to go into every theater is different. And also, yeah. again, you know, going back to these prices, I mean, it, it, it is. And that's kind of what I hope our show can do for audiences. And I think maybe we should dive into this more because Cinema Blend used to, uh, actually did this before I even started doing a show with you guys. They would like two 3D or to not 3D. Um, still do. Like, yeah. Uh, right. Still do. And, and I know Mike Reyes. Yeah. It's a great concept because at the end of the day, like we, you know, we. The general audiences, when they walk up to a, a kiosk or they buy a ticket, they don't know what RDX, whatever, all those different like 3DX and like 4DX and, yeah. you know, you know, you know, whatever alone, it's going to be. What's the difference between a 4K IMAX and a 2K IMAX and the right. dual projector laser? Yeah, yeah it's I mean, and all those all those words sound like cool. So you buy you upcharge the ticket. Sure, and I sure, think, sure. you know, they're already 
they're already taking so much from audiences. But like at the end of the day, listen, I, you know, I went to saw I went and saw a movie last night in IMAX and I sat in that theater and I was like, gosh, this is just amazing. Just like the sound was phenomenal. The, the, the theatrical experience was incredible. The screen looked amazing. It that was worth that would be worth an upcharge ticket just for the IMAX alone. And I was sitting there going, this is this is why I love going to the movies. Like, I, like I'm really immersed in this experience. Like the mm-hmm. IMAX theater I went to is in Georgetown. So it's the end of the day. Like I understand, I get the pricing aspects of it, but I don't agree with the individual right. preferences. I, I it's did, a very strange timing. I did appreciate that they're keeping the $5 Tuesdays. Yeah. Um, if you're stuck, again, member, I guess. It, I always, know. the example I always think about is being a kid who didn't have a lot of money and, and, and wanting to go to the theater. And it's like, well, you know, a part of the, a part of the, um, part of the the love that you've like the part of falling in love with it was doing the hard stuff and so like i don't know maybe it's maybe i'm just being overly romantic about it but i mean there's nothing wrong with being romantic about it i mean at the end of the day like the theatrical experience is something that is a romantic thing and it's like you know and and like gabe and i talk about like how much we love sitting in certain sections and seeing certain films in certain ways um but yeah i'm I'm curious i I don't think this is going to stick i think it's i think they're going to get so much backlash i mean you have actors coming out that are like elijah wood that are tweeting Mm -hmm. to amc and these are people like that you know have big followings that have big you know and you're you're, you might start seeing people go well i'm not gonna go to amc i'm gonna go to xyz that's the thing this theater that theater even even if the general audience ultimately doesn't care if the noise around it is loud enough it'll, Mm -hmm. it'll affect their their purchasing it's, decisions yeah, for branding. It's kind of like yeah. a bad thing for branding because, yeah. you know, then you they're, they're, like up where I live, there's a Tyson's AMC and a Tyson's icon. You know, what's to stop the person from going over to the icon? They don't have to pay that preferred seating. Mm-hmm. Um, so and it's right across the street. So it's like, you know, if you could save three or four dollars and, and sit wherever you want and pay the same price as everybody else in the theater. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Now I feel kind of icky uh, throwing it to an ad break. <laughs> yeah you know, you know the best part a preferred ad break we're, we're, tra- we're charging more the best part is this isn't like a, a an ad that we've sold this is like just pre-roll you know you click on a youtube yeah. video and something pops yeah. up so who knows this might be a regal who knows Gabe, <laughs> uh, what when are we launching when are we launching extra premium real well, blend? you know what if you have premium <laughs> yeah. you have an ad free version of the show. that's true that's true <laughs> we're already in the preferred game yes yeah. we are consider us your middle seat in the, yeah, in the yeah. auditorium <laughs> all right we'll see you on the other side And we are back. All right. So this weekend, movies uh, Titanic is coming back to theaters for a 25th anniversary celebration. Gabe and I were just talking about the fact that we may actually go out of our way to go see that. Uh, Gabe hasn't seen it on the big screen yet, and I haven't seen it in 3D. Um, and just the opportunity to see something like this on the big screen again is pretty special. Oh, are they releasing uh, it in 3D too now? I think so. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, another movie that I think more people would like to see in 3D is Magic Mike's Last Dance. Uh <laughs> Michelle sort of and me stopped talking every time the commercial comes on. So I think she's really excited to see uh, how this <laughs> franchise concludes. Um, and then Consecration is a film that's opening in theaters, but I'm not familiar with what it is. Um, how so, weird is it that there's a new Soderbergh movie out this weekend and not and like and, and it's like it doesn't even feel like a Soderbergh movie in a strange way, even though not it even is that, like a Soderbergh movie that's part of a franchise that's been popular. 
Yeah. But like, I don't know yeah. anyone who's seen it and it's just kind of flying under the radar. So, yeah, yeah it's a little weird. But I, that feels like a um, maybe I don't know. Maybe they're just smart about where they're spending their money. That feels like mm-hmm. a franchise that has an audience. Yeah. Yeah. And they've made a movie for that audience. Maybe they're coming like, anyway. Yeah, like they're like, well, if you want to see a new Magic Mike movie, you're going to know that it's in theaters, perhaps. I don't know. First one, first one was great. People that love that franchise, I know, are obsessed with it. So, yeah, I actually I like the second one, too. It's kind of fun. Um, Yeah, there's a movie coming to Prime Video and it's called Somebody I Used to Know. Is this the Dave Franco, Allison Brie movie? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really interesting film um, about identity and and and, uh, you know, kind of how we shape our lives and kind of who we are growing up and then how our, you know, our perceptions change. But one of the things I really took away from it was this concept of, you know, how much weight we put on one certain aspect of our identity. So, you know, for example, if you just work all the time and that's, that's the thing that you're wrapped up in the most in your identity, then if the littlest shift happens or think it completely devastates you. And I think that's why it's important to have things outside of work and outside of those things like family and friends and hobbies and things like that. But the concept behind the film is so it's written and directed. It's written and directed by Dave Franco. Alison Brie also co-wrote it with Dave Franco. Um, and in the film, her character essentially uh, left to go to Los Angeles, started like it was dealing with a very popular show that then after its third season was canceled, kind of similar to what happened with Alison Brie and Glow, um, which oh, is interesting, interesting, uh, interesting, consistent thing there. But so she returns home and essentially runs into her ex, uh, Jay Ellis's character um, from Top Gun Maverick. And uh, he and her have like a wonderful time together. They hang out for a bit and then she realizes, oh, he's getting married. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what ends up happening is her character kind of becomes almost friendly with um, the person that Jay is going to marry, played by Kiersey Clemens. And it reminds her of somebody she used to know, which was herself at that point, you know, before she got, you know, her perceptions and life perspective shifted from the move. Um, And yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, I think it's a great concept because it, it spoke a lot to me just in terms of, you know, what we do, how much weight we put on certain things and what, and what it means and how we forget, the 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 love and the things that we go through in our early days and kind of how life can really get in the way of that and kind of keeping that balance and that's what really struck me with it um it's an r-rated romantic comedy it's on amazon prime video it's you know valentine's day kind of hits that mark perfectly um you know allison brie i was talking to her which i thought was really interesting which i asked her like you know about the roles in her career that reminded her the most of who she, who she was growing up um, and obviously this film is interesting because it is written, co-written by her. So there's like a scene where her and Kiersey Clemens goes streaking and she's like, I, I used to do that all the time in college. Oh, and I was really? like, but she talked about how, um, glow actually helped her get in touch with doing non-sexual nudity on screen and being comfortable with it. Um, and the idea of being comfortable with your body and, and, and wanting to show it in that way, but in a non-sexual way, mm-hmm. um, the movies actually it raises a lot of interesting points. I mean, I don't think it's perfect. It's definitely, you know, I mean, it's 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 good. I enjoyed it. It's very interesting. I actually walked away more thinking about the thematics than I did maybe the characters, um, because I maybe it just kind of but that's kind of the best thing about movies, right? Is it makes you reevaluate and think about your life in certain ways in different ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Franco's a really interesting filmmaker. I thought the rental was great. We had him on. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely go back and listen to that interview uh, if he you haven't heard interview. it. 
he was great and yeah. um but yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a really it's a well-made film that does bring up a lot of interesting aspects i thought the cast was great and uh yeah i mean allison brie and dave franco are married in real life so it's really kind of a um kind of a cool thing they got together and to did to do this so it's on prime video this weekend and yeah i recommend it i mean it's a good at home maybe like a date night type movie i don't think you'll walk away going that was one of the most incredible things i've ever seen before but it works yeah. good for the, the valentine's day weekend i assume I'm definitely going to give that a shot. Um, all right. So Benjamin Karen was our guest uh, earlier in the episode, and he has a movie coming out called Sharper. And um, I, it's, I, I want to tell you guys that it is uh, you have to see it, like just go out of your way to see it. But it's going to be a type of movie that I can't really get into specifics because it has a lot of twists and turns. Um, Love and this. anything you know about it um, right off the bat. Like I literally went into it. Interesting. with our conversation earlier about trailers, I hadn't seen a trailer and I had no clue what I don't know what the movie is about. And so even from the first the opening scene, uh, which takes place in a, a bookstore where this girl who is um, getting her Ph.D. at Columbia in New York City is looking for a book. And the uh, guy behind the counter who's played by Justice Smith. Uh, he asks her out and she essentially says no. But then she comes back later and she's like, OK, no, I actually do think I want to give it a shot. I'm sorry. I was just being defensive sort of thing. And it follows their relationship for a little bit of time, but there are things that are coming um, in this movie that you literally cannot see. You just don't see them uh, coming at all. And Benjamin Karen, the director broke it up. Well, the screenplay, I guess uh, broke it up this way too, but they're broken up into chapters so that each time um, you get to a certain point of the story, it shifts its perspective to another character. And then you start at the action um earlier and you sort of catch back up to where you mm. were and then you keep going further and then when you go further you meet another character and then you get a chapter break and then you follow that character uh, mm. as they come back up to it and so throughout the course of the movie you meet sebastian stan and you figure out how he factors into the story and then you meet julianne moore and you learn how she factors into the story and finally you get to john lithgow and once all the pieces are on the board um well again you just don't know where it's going you don't know where it's going. And I was really, really impressed, um, not just with the story, which I thought was fantastic and all the performances are great, but the way that Benjamin shoots the film. And we talked about this with him. Um, he puts so much thought into the construction of his scenes uh, and the way that he stages certain things that um, and it's funny to hear him talk about happy accidents because so many of these shots, they look like and it, he talked about his interest in, in still photography and how he sets up certain things like there are beautiful, beautiful shots in this movie that are just like visually so eye catching um, that I, he's somebody that I would follow for a while, regardless, because I just want to see what he's going to do visually. But it's a great, great story. And the performances are really terrific. I want to single out uh, Brianna Middleton. Um, who plays the girl uh, in the opening scene who is going into the bookstore. Um, she has to go through so much in this film and change gears so many different times. And she's mesmerizing in each, each of the different turns that her character has to go through, uh, go into it as clean as you possibly can. I've danced around a lot here. Believe me, uh, don't watch a trailer. Don't read up on anything. Just go see Sharper. It's in limited edition, uh, limited theaters right now. And on the 17th, it's going to be going to Apple TV Plus. So if you have a subscription to that, make sure you see it. But the reason why I recommend the big screen is he shot it on 35 millimeter, as Kevin points out in the interview. Um, it looks fantastic. And uh, he's got a great, great, great visual eye and has a Clint Mansell score. So you want to go see that in a theater with the with the speakers and everything. So it's great. Put sharper on your on your radar. And it's uh, it's truly, truly terrific. So yeah. um, that leads us into our blend game. 
which is hashtag movie couple blend in honor of the Valentine's Day uh, holiday. We will throw it to Jake's recording uh, at the end of the segment, but we're going to start with Gabe, who doesn't get to play the blend game that often. Jay, uh, Gabe. Gabe. <laughs> Jake, I just automatically go to Jake. Sorry, what was that, Kev? Kev? And, no, I was saying, and Gabe, set up what this, because this is not what, what it sounds like. It's a little different. Well, movie couple. It's just a movie couple. Whatever. whatever. I, I kept that vague on purpose of have fun with it if you want to pick like a bromance or whatever. It doesn't have to be a romantic right. or sexual thing in the movie. Um, it's more of uh, shared love between two people. Well, Michael Breen said Jay and Silent Bob. And as soon That's as he said that, I was of, like, oh, a great yeah, example okay. of what a, a stretch of a movie couple. Um, might be and R2. Yeah, I yep. think the, I think the, the what I gave last week was um, three Pinar two is great. Um, Thank you. Uh, I kept Jonah that, Hill yeah. and Michael Sarah in Superbad, you know, and that movie is very specifically playing with the bromance idea and mm-hmm. and with like their the literal scenes where they're like talking to each other like a romantic couple, which is fun. Right. Um, I didn't know I was playing this until today, so <laughs> I went with the first thing that came to my mind, which I actually I thought about it and I, I like it more and more. I've talked about this on the show. Um, and it's a fairly recent one, but I don't think that since I've seen this movie, I've, I don't think I've felt the same way about a romantic couple in a movie. Like, I don't think I've ever had such a strong reaction. Oh, can I um, guess what yours is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it Ethan Hawke and Julie Depley in before, in the before trilogy? No, no, Damn no. It. So, so it's what I pick. mean by is since I've seen this, I have not seen a movie released or gone back on one because it's a fairly recent movie. It came out in 2019. Uh, and that is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Which oh, wow. Is wow. Criterion. Criterion. If you don't know anything about the movie, maybe it's a little bit of a spoiler to say that it's romantic. I think you kind of you pick that up pretty quickly. But the story itself in the movie, I think, is incredible. Um, I think the direction is incredible. I think that the I've the way I always describe it is like this is a meditation on desire um, uh, and what that means in a love story. And I think that it's directed perfectly to every single thing is to make you feel that it's it. It's a very French made film in that it really is focusing on the audience feeling what they are seeing. Um, I think it's an incredibly powerful film, incredibly powerful performances. Um, I think the love story is is beautiful. And I think that the, again, not to get into spoilers in this, because I want people to see it if you haven't. Um, I think everything that it leads to is just, it's one of those just amazing emotional reactions to a film that I, I since then I have not had quite that uh, intense of a reaction to uh, a romantic couple in movies. Very good choice. Very good choice. Uh, Kev, where'd you go? It, uh, it's so funny. I'm like, I'm like in my mind, I'm like switching back and forth. Like Jay and Silent Bob is such a great one. Um, but then you kind of have thinking, an obvious one, don't you? One that's like your. Do I? Oh, is it the one I mentioned earlier before you started the show? I don't remember what you mentioned. Like, I, I, like I, I figured you're 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 for if Kevin McCarthy. If I were to pick like a, a romantic one would be true romance would be like your. Yeah. Now, that's a great one. Yeah. And that, that was yeah. the thing that because like we were talking about this earlier, because it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. No, um, but true romance is. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious or when Harry met Sally. But my favorite like on screen, like Jules duo. And Jules and Vincent's great, too. But I, I honestly I'm telling you, I am obsessed with Mike and Marcus from Bad Boys. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> See, that's, yeah, a, that's that, a great yeah. choice. I that's great. love those characters. I just think they're amazing together. I could watch a scene of I mean, even scenes of just 
those guys driving in a car together, just having their banter is so funny. Like in Bad Boys 2, when they go into the the morgue, uh, the or what was it? A mortuary? What's the word I'm looking for? Where they, you know, when uh, the dead bodies and like that, and they're, they're getting the charms out of the morgue. I think it's morgue. I'm now realizing that I know the difference between a morgue and a mortuary. Now yeah, neither do I. Neither do I. <laughs> I'm like, um, uh, but like just there's something so funny about those characters and like Will Smith and Martin Lawrence play them so perfectly. And like, you know, as we all saw with what, uh, you know, Adil and Bilal did with the the third bad boys like mm-hmm. there, you know, even though Michael Bay wasn't there to, to direct it, that the chemistry lived on. And like, I don't know, there's just something about watching those guys in an action scene in a, any type of scene. Anything they're doing is just so funny. Um, you know, Bad Boys 2 and Bad Boys 1 obviously has material that is not appropriate uh, in today's times or right. or in any times. But um, but, you know, their but their their banter back and forth is really, really funny and and, and also heartwarming. Like, like, dude, in Bad Boys 3, the third one without I mean quote unquote spoiler alert. So you fast forward if you haven't seen it, um, you know, when 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 Will Smith's character gets shot and like I thought he was going to die. Like, I, I mean, I was like I, I was genuinely sad, like when Marcus goes to visit him at the hospital or whatever. And I, I was like, dude, I don't want these guys to be separated. Like, I, I, I love their chemistry. Um, and honestly, I'd watch 30 movies with those guys when they announced the new Bad Boys 4. Like, I don't care what they're doing, where they are. I just want those two characters on screen, even if it's something as simple at the end of Bad Boys 2 and like when like or, or with uh, with uh, Martin Lawrence's pool that keeps breaking, like mm-hmm. just the way Mike jokes about it or like the or just sets him off like they're it, they're 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 so fun to watch together. Um, So that's you know, it's funny because Jane and Bob is I feel like I feel like would definitely be one of one of those that's up there. True romance, clearly for a romantic romantic Dante one for sure. Dante and Randall's a great one, too. I mean, there's so many to choose from, but I don't know. I'm kind of in a bad boys vibe right now. I've been thinking about it a little bit since the announcement. I'm just super excited for that fourth one. So I love that. And they're just and they're just amazing together. They're the best. That's another that's another great example of like a non-romantic movie couple, because so much of the the bits that they do are based on their partnership and they're treating it like a partnership. And they're like. They're the um, disagreements and it's like sort a marriage. Of like weird, exactly. Like the, the yeah. marriage thing that they that they do. They're, they're playing they're, into those tropes. It's perfect. And like, like and it's and and they handle it perfectly. Like Martin Lawrence, like it, that's what's, what's so funny about comedy. It's like there has to be somebody who's delivering dialogue and somebody who's reacting or getting angry or getting uh, emotional about it. And like, there's just like, it's so hard to like explain why chemistry works, but there's just something magical about those two on screen at the same time playing those characters. And, and, and at the same time, I, as ridiculous as something as bad boys two gets in terms of the action and the comedy, there's such a grounded nature to their friendship that, you know, there's a core and a love that they both have for each other on, on a really deep level, even though, like, like Gabe says, it's like a marriage a marriage aspect to the way they 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 banter. So it's it's fun. I, I, I'm, I might watch Bad Boys 2 tonight, man. I love that movie. Man. Uh, what are they going to so- call Bad Boys for? Oh, I know. I know that. It's so funny. I remember when Bad Boys 3 got titled Bad Boys for Life. I, now, I want to say. And I don't know this. This might be really redundant, but isn't Bad Boys for Life spelt 
F-O-R without yes. the number four. I, I think so we talked about this when that came out. Yeah. I, couldn't no, they just I do think, four? I think the reason that they can't do that is because there's a song called Bad Boys for Life that uses the number four. Oh. So I think that, like, I think that they, I don't know if they happened upon that. Bad Boys if, Forever? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to yeah, they kind of really, they really kind of botched that a little bit. <laughs> does, uh, I, I, but I, I feel love like, that they make fun of that in that video that they recorded with each other. They were yeah. like, "We use the the perfect title." I think, thing. and I think this is a really good. This is a good role that Will Smith needs to do. It'll. It's a role that people love him in. I think it's a good one for him to like. You know, regardless of what you think about the situation that happened at the Oscars, like I think this is a role that people will hopefully accept him back in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I and I think uh, I'm I'm just excited to see him play Mike Lowry because like, yeah, I mean, so he's so good in it. I saw a report today that they were already filming. But I don't know. <laughs> really? Well, it was. I it mean, was, it was yeah. a quote from Questlove who said that he wasn't. Will Smith wasn't at the Grammys for the the hip hop. Um, 50th oh. anniversary thing because he was filming but the way he said it made me think he said like preliminary footage or preliminary okay. I feel like maybe they were just testing I'm with you in that my choice reflects kind of where I am right now although I probably would have chose them anyway um, but I want to give special shout out to uh, Butch and Sundance who are classic mm. um, uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I even almost Ooh. went Barb and Star because Barb and Star <laughs> Barb and Star is a great that's a truly great fantastic. one Barb and yeah. Star is perfect like Barb and Star is basically like it, it's kind of <laughs> like Mike and Marcus like it's it like, like like these two best yeah. friends who have this banter it's great yeah okay but I um, am in a Shane Black mode uh, as of late because uh, I am working on The Last Boy Scout. And so I can watched I a ton of. Yeah, sure. Of course, you can guess. No, go ahead. Go ahead. We've set it up, though. I think I know where you're going, but um, I'm going with Riggs and Murtaugh uh, from the first Lethal oh. Weapon. Uh, Did you think I was, I was doing nice, nice guys? guys? No, not nice, nice guys. guys. I'm doing Riggs okay. and Murtaugh. Yeah, and you got to go Riggs and Murtaugh if you're going to pick a Shane Black. Yeah, and I'm doing it, but specifically from the first movie, um, because after uh Two and beyond, they became more of a comic relief duo um, and leaned into the slapstick of it all. What's the matter? Have you, sorry, I just did you ever watch the TV show that they did based I on did. those characters? Yeah, yeah, was I it did. any good? Oh, the Fox television show with Damon yeah, Wayans? Like a really? show. Yeah, not, not really. It was, was okay. Damon Wayans? Yeah, Damon Wayans was the Danny Glover part. The series is so dependent on the actor's chemistry. Like, it's not just like. I'll tell you what, it could have been a lot know. worse. Sure. It, it, it could have been a lot worse. It wasn't terrible, but it was it was also, um, uh, you know, it, it's television being a prime time show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like it, they had to have a, a villain of the week type thing. And it was right. just that's that's not what you do. With I bet guys, the special effects looked exactly the same. They <laughs> did, <TV> special effects. <laughs> they did try to really drill down into the different problems that these guys had uh, in the sure. show. And that's what I think is so significant to, because the reason why I love them, the reason why I think that they are such a great movie couple is that in the first movie specifically, these two guys arrive in each other's lives at times when they desperately needed what the other guy gives. Yes. Uh, Riggs was suicidal. Uh, he had lost his wife. He had no more purpose uh, in his life and essentially was uh, going into these situations where he got a guy down off the roof by essentially handcuffing himself to him and jumping. Um, he went into a, Christmas tree yard and and broke up drug dealers by essentially trying to buy drugs from them. And then it got into a shootout. Like he just had a death wish and didn't care if he lived or died. Um, And then Danny Glover's character had been on the force for so long that he was essentially uh, one foot out the door and kind of forgetting why he uh, became a police officer and, and lost that risk um, the necessary risk that you have to sort of go into these dangerous situations. And by 
putting the two of them together in a classic sort of buddy cop formula situation, they not just learned off of each other, but I think became better because of what the other guy brought to them. And Kev talks mm. about chemistry with the with Martin Lawrence and um, Will Smith. And I think Mel Gibson and Danny Glover had it in spades. And so much of it comes from the Shane Black screenplay in particular. But then those guys uh, off screen became such great friends. And the way that they played off of each other was iconic. Um, the last 30 minutes of Lethal Weapon is some of the best action cinema I've ever seen my entire life, starting with the shootout in the desert, um, going all the way through the torture scene, which is hysterical because if you watch the last Boy Scout, Bruce Willis is a uh, 10 or 11 year old daughter is watching the torture scene from Lethal Weapon when he comes <laughs> into the room one day. Um, and then I through love the, last Boy Scout, the um, uh, Gary Busey fight on the front on the front lawn of, of Murtaugh's house is just terrific. So I haven't seen that movie in phenomenal. so long. Oh, God, it's great. You have Wait, to put who, it on. Who directed the it. first Lethal Weapon? Richard Donner. Richard oh, that's Donner. right. That's right. That's God. right. He directed all Donner. four of them, actually. Yeah. So four? He did all four of them. Yep. Yes, he did. Wow. And I remember that so show, whenever, yeah. when he passed, I remember the uh, tributes talking about, talking about those movies. And I was like, holy shit, I didn't realize that was him. Yep. Donner's kind of underrated. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, he comes a, from that classic fantastic. era of like um, workhorse director kind of thing. Like, that's, I mean. Yeah. That guy had anything, if not experience. We don't, we don't talk about Richard Donner enough. Like, really? I was, like, the other day we were on the sh- I was telling you guys that I thought I Rob Reiner. I have a feeling Reiner, we're going to be talking about Donner uh, when we get James Gunn Superman. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, because he did the first sense. Superman. He did the yeah. Goonies. He did Lethal wait, Weapon. Donner did the Goonies. Yes, he did. Wait, wait. I thought Sonnen. Which one? Oh, I'm thinking of. Wait, oh, Sonnenfeld did. Sonnenfeld. Uh, Men in, yeah. That's Men in Black. Yeah. Men in no, Black, Richard okay. Donner. He did Maverick with Mel Gibson. Oh, wow. Dude, he's great. Richard Donner. I used to watch I used to watch Maverick all the time when I was a kid just because it was on like TBS or something. Mel Gibson? Yeah. Yeah. I watched the shit out of that movie. And Jody Foster. It's so charming. Who's the the other guy? Who's the James Garner? James James Garner, yeah. The original Maverick. Do you guys ever have moments where like your mind just goes somewhere random when you hear a movie? Like when you said Maverick just now, the one I random, this makes no sense. I went to Mad City with John Travolta. Oh, wow. That movie. I don't know why. I just heard Maverick and then went to Mad City and I have no clue why. I would never. Maybe maybe they were both in the 90s, but I don't know why I went there. But that's where my head went. Let's get the audience picks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. Or to Jake's pick. To Jake's pick. Oh, Jake's pick. That's right. Let's throw it to Jake's pick for his uh, his selection for hashtag movie couple blend. Hey guys, uh, sorry I can't be there this week, but I know the show is absolutely incredible. Um, I've been told that because Sean texted me that the show was amazing, even without me. Um, I did want to play uh, Movie Couple Blend, and my answer is going to be a little cliche. I was kind of bouncing forth between like fun answers. I thought about saying um, you know, Tom Hanks and Wilson. I thought about saying uh, Vincent Vega um, and, uh, and, and, and Jules from Pulp Fiction, but I can't not pick one of like the first relationships in movies that I ever recognized in my life, which is Princess Leia and Han Solo. I mean, they are uh, the results. I mean, they, they, they gave me what is my favorite line in all of movies, which is I love you. I know um, the progression of their disdain for each other that turned into uh, a frustration and annoyance, which then turned into to love, um, which we got to see not just over the course of, of three films, but then over the course of the sequel trilogy and what came of that. Um, it's just 
a beautifully written, gorgeously realized, uh, classic example of of old school movie love that was perfectly represented by two simply flawless performances from both Harrison Ford and the late great Carrie Fisher. Um, so I I really did want to try to like have fun with this and pick like a fun quirky one, but everyone I picked in my heart of hearts I knew that it wasn't the right answer and that for me personally there was only one right answer and that is Han Solo and Princess Leia so hope you guys enjoyed the pick and now audience picks all right so Michael Breen he went with Jay and Silent Bob uh Danny Gurch said Ellie and Carl from Up that's a great really great choice how come Uh, heartbreaking Corey Holland went off screen. He said Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, but no specific project. I think that's terrific. That's really What about good. Matt Damon and Jimmy Kimmel, though? That might be another one. That's a good that's one, a good well, one too. too. I can't remember. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck did Goodwill Hunting, too. Hunting season. They true. did. They also I did mean, The Last Duel. <laughs> yes, they did. That's true. Uh, well, Nikki yeah. Hall. So there is no greater rom-com couple than Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. Uh, and Jay Elise or Elise says uh neo and trinity neo and trinity is an interesting that's a good one it's a good one so thank you everybody for participating in this week's game this was a lot of fun uh i like going off the grid like that and being unique and different so next week (laughs) as as suggested in the opening joke of the show we're gonna be playing hashtag jonathan majors blend i have a feeling that our choices may change between now and the end of the year um, what a good act what a great actor yeah he's a young a young a career but already has i was actor. looking over his filmography and already has a ton of performances that you could pick from was All his right. breakout the last black man in san francisco was that his was that his big breakout i think uh, so yeah i want because i remember let me see i think he I, would I, I played mean, like bit parts in some other big stuff but um, the, that but that was so that wait, was definitely that was, like the big like oh this guy can swing He's like the one, the phenomenal. one that I saw that really made him a big deal for me was the five bloods. Mm. Like, cause I, I, that was the performance that I was like, Oh, this guy yeah. is incredible. He I mean, in, not, yeah. He's done amazing stuff before that, but this was right before the last black man in San Francisco. He was in uh, white boy, Rick, which was kind of had some acclaim at the time. If I oh, I and he was right. in for white boy, Rick. That's yes. right. He was in hostels as well. Oh my oh, gosh. With the, wow. the, the, the Scott Cooper movie yeah. with um, yeah, Christian yeah, yeah. Bale. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I just remember seeing him in the Five Bloods. Because, correct me if I'm wrong. Who, who steps on the Who steps on the landmine in the Five Bloods? Spoilers for the Five Bloods. Um, he um, does, but it's because isn't it a moment where the dad gets to save him? Yes. Right. And Delroy Lindo, right? Yeah. Is Delroy yeah. Lindo his father in yes. the film? Yeah. yeah. Yes. That scene Beautiful. is insane. Yeah. Like, that was one of the most captivating, like intense sequences I had ever seen. Uh, in a movie what a performance we, we sang the praises of that movie when it came out but if you're listening now and you haven't seen the five blood so good so good it's on netflix yeah go check it out right now it's really it's one of spike's best movies like it really have we done spike lee blend? delroy lindo don't just watch it for delroy lindo alone that movie didn't we have delroy on the show for that yes we did yes yes we did yes. yeah and he was terrific he was awesome. said that all the time. He was awesome. Yeah. We said that all the time, but he was really great. He was awesome. he, he was, just, was, he, he was very like loose and just had fun and like yeah, yeah. just enjoyed talking about I think we got to dig into some of his uh, legacy projects that he enjoyed digging. Because he, he didn't end up getting nominated, did? Because he was such no, a that was didn't. an amazing performance. I know. In Defiant Bloods, I, I talked to Jonathan Majors today, and I I brought that up, and I think it meant a lot to him that people still mention that to him oh, because that's cool. that is what you know. Obviously, he's about to enter an age of 
major major blockbuster material here and he you know he kind of already the, did with the the loki finale and everything but the five bloods really kind of man that performance the <laughs> only oscar nomination was for terrence blanchard's score oh right right all right yeah which was terrific great it, was a great, deserved, it was a great score that movie deserved more nominations yeah. i watched the creed 3 trailer again recently because i was doing a story about yeah. it he's so intimidating in that trailer yeah, that's a really good blend game for next week. Right, that's for next week. All right. So last week I begged people for reviews and I was shameless about it, um, but I don't mind because it worked. Uh, we received <laughs> reviews. So I'm going to continue to beg people for reviews so we have something to read in this portion of the show because we have a section where we put reviews and we haven't had anything to read in a long time. But now we have something. Uh, and this one goes, hello, gentlemen. I've been meaning to write in a review for a long time now. So when Sean was begging people <laughs> to send some in, I figured now would probably be a good time. He says, just kidding, Sean, but listen, I'm with you. I begged for people to send in reviews. And again, it worked. I think the I word I listening... used last week was you were berating people into it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's probably more accurate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I started listening to Real Blend around the time uh, of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out a time when there was no intro music to the show, a running gag of Gabe not being a real person because he never spoke. <laughs> And of course, the days of yelling Dunkirk at the end of every episode. In that time, many aspects of my life had changed. I was a single man living in the suburbs of Seattle, Washington, when I became a blender. I am now a married man living in the suburbs of Tampa, Florida, and a brand new baby girl who is the cutest thing on this earth, though I may be biased in that opinion. Let me pause the review to say congratulations, sir. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Congratulations. Anyone who gets to be a father is outstanding, and we're really, really happy for you, and make sure your daughter pop, pop. listens to the show. Pop, pop. Ah, a little new pop-up in the audience. Uh, <laughs> but one thing that has stayed constant through these years is my love for this podcast. I grew Oh, Kev, you're going you're gonna to love this. I grew up in a mili- uh, on a military base in New Mexico where there was one theater with one screen, and it cost $1 to see a movie. This was the 1990s, he says. And my mom was the only projectionist at this theater. I have vivid memories of being up in the projection booth while she spliced together the film. She was the one that told Mm. me about the cigarette burn in the top right corner. She Mm. pulled me out of the first Scream movie before Drew Barrymore was killed. I (laughs) stayed up in the projection booth with her during Fallen with Denzel Washington because she got too scared. And I I fell asleep in that booth watching The Postman. Uh, I grew up in the theater, and to this day, the smell of popcorn brings me right back to being a kid. Since the pandemic, I don't get out of the theater as much as I used to. My wife is at high risk for complications from COVID, and I have an infant. But listening to you guys makes me feel connected to that world still. Real Blend has become one of my favorite podcasts, and I look forward every Friday to when the new episode drops. Your excitement for film and for filmmaking process is undeniable, and it exudes from every conversation you guys have with the interviewees. And with each other. Sorry, not sorry for the length of this email. Before I go out, I want to shout out Kevin for being a metalhead. I am one myself. I played in metal bands all through my 20s. Hearing you on Jamie Jasta's podcast. Oh, yeah. Jamie Jasta, the lead singer of Hatebreed. He had me on his show a couple years ago. I grew I I grew up on that band. <laughs> yeah. Says uh, hearing you on that podcast is what brought me to find out about Real Blend. Oh, Shout wow. out to Jake for his love of Star Wars. I always appreciate you repping the wars. Shout out to Sean for showing people that you can fanboy over both Marvel and DC. And lastly, Mm. but not least, shout out to Gabe for keeping this crazy train on the rails every week. Take care and keep up the good work, boys. Your pal, Dan. That's fantastic. Beautiful. That is that review, man. Wow. I ask for reviews. They're very touching. And what a great great story given our conversation earlier. It was, you know, 
Talking about the theater going experience. Beautiful. So great. A a mom who's a projectionist? That's so badass. I think that's incredible. All right. Our next premium episode is going to drop on Monday. Again, check the descriptions below uh, to find out how you can sign up for it. Follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach. And the show is at Real Blend. We'll be back with a full episode next week. Until then, ladies and gentlemen. Hockey pads and Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Hockenheimer. Can't wait to have Chris say that. Oh, Chris. Yeah, we're definitely we're definitely Chris. not asking Chris hey, to say Chrissy, that. Chrissy, yeah. Chris. Oh, by the way, that's asking. my new thing now too. Is I'm going to demystify Nolan by just calling him Chris. No, Chris. you're not. You're <laughs> not no, no not to him, not to him, but like on the show. He's the show. not Chris. He's, He's never going to be Chris. It's Mr. Nolan. That's on what this, on this uh, podcast. John David Washington called him. Well, he's best. He, like he worked with the guy. We don't know Christopher Nolan. You didn't commit Chris. Well, would you call Stanley Kubrick Stanley? Stan? We wouldn't call him Stan. that. Call him Stan. Stan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Stan. Did you call or Jim Cameron Jim? Steve? Steve Silberg? Steve? Steve Stevie? Stevie, Stevie, Stevie yeah. Pooh? Steve. Yeah. Don't call him Steve. Tommy Tom Tom. <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.